Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how virtual reality is starting to impact dozens of industries the effects of fiction coming to life on the big screen, and how the future is or isn't all about VR. Virtual reality, big screen reality, and your reality. Oh my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Today's CX Press article comes to us from MyCustomer.com and is titled, Six Examples of Companies Using Virtual Reality to Improve Customer Experience. It was written by freelance writer and blogger Deanna Labrian and provides an overview of several companies that are using VR technology or virtual reality technology as part of their design and customer experience process. Now, the article notes that until very recently, virtual reality has been mostly limited to the world of gaming. But lately, retailers and even educators have discovered the benefits of VR and how incorporating VR allows them to create amazing customer experiences, experiences that will retain customers and boost revenues. One example the article noted is from the automobile industry. Brands such as Peugeot, BMW, Jaguar, and Ford are using VR in the development of prototypes for new car designs. This allows designers from remote locations to collaborate. It limits expenses of having to meet in person, and it also eliminates the expense of developing physical prototypes, which are then discarded. Another example from the article that I personally really enjoyed was the uses of VR in the legal field. As a recovering attorney, I found this one pretty interesting. Uh, and the main way or the most interesting way that VR is being used in the legal field right now is to recreate scenes for the jury. Now, when I was a practicing lawyer, we used to build little models out of Legos or whatever it may be to kind of lay out the scene. We'd occasionally have drawings or sketches, that type of thing. But now you can actually walk the jury through a virtual accident scene or a crime scene so that they can experience in virtual reality what actually happened the day that the incident occurred. Mental note, tell Joey that we should have a whole separate segment about him using Legos in the courtroom, because I really want to hear more about that. Hey, man, let me tell you, early on in the game, as a quick segue here, my dad was a criminal defense lawyer and occasionally would have me build dioramas of different scenes out of Legos that he would then take into court. So I started doing that when I was a kid. What can I say? Dad, Dad was ages ahead of his time. That is awesome. So uh, the travel industry is also using VR to help prospective vacationers, quote unquote, travel to destinations through virtual reality and experience hotel accommodations, activities, museums, et cetera, right from their homes. Not sure why they then have to travel, but 
uh, prior to making their decision on vacations. And this type of VR offering is starting to pop up with early adopters like Marriott Hotels, Thomas Cook, and Lufthansa. I think that was one that actually made a little bit of sense in from a point of view that a lot of Americans really don't do a lot of vacationing and they kind of store up. And my thought was if somebody was kind of storing up their vacation time and their money to go on a nice vacation, if they got the chance to experience it in advance, that might help with some of the fears they had about making that investment. You and I have some differing opinions on VR, which good thing is we might actually get to talk about them later in this episode. Or shut away. Or we We'll see. Uh, the article concludes by in giving some examples from education, where they're using VR to test students, uh, medical care, creating environments for patients to test their coping skills, for example, and retail, where you get the opportunity to try on clothes without needing to even go into the store, something that I know you in particular would love, Dan. Uh, but you'll need to read the article to learn more. The key takeaways from the article, however, are number one, no business is too small for augmented or virtual reality customer experiences. You really should be thinking about this. If not incorporating it into your business in 2018, at least be thinking about the impact that augmented reality or virtual reality might have on your overall operations. Number two, as the tools continue to improve, you need to move from considering VR to actually playing around with it. And we'll talk more about that in some of the uh, segments that we have coming up in this episode. But, you know, getting familiar with what's going on in the world of virtual reality is something that I think would benefit any customer experience professional. And finally, number three, today's consumer is looking for experiences rather than actually seeing a product online and then trying to determine if it would actually be valuable. The experience gives you the chance to seal the deal. Whether that experience is in real life, or in virtual reality. We spend hours and hours nose deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? So Dan, I know you're a busy guy, but I also know that not too long ago, I made a little recommendation about a book that you might want to check out called Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Have you had a chance to read that? Actually, I just finished it and I was so excited for the movie coming out. I, I knew I needed to finish the book before I'd allow myself to go see the movie. And I loved that recommendation and I really appreciated you making me aware of it. Uh, and it was a totally fun read and it was definitely a nice break from all the business books I've been reading recently. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of reading business books because I think there's a lot to learn. But I think every person in business needs... It's my personal belief that you should sprinkle in at least one fiction book for every three business books. I personally try to do more of a one-to-one -one ratio, uh, but at least one fiction for every three. So since you read it, Neil, I'd be curious because we haven't... You know, and folks playing home... At uh, you know, playing along at home, Dan and I have not had the chance to talk about this. I had recommended the book, but I didn't know if he'd had a chance to read it yet. What did you think about the uh, book? Like what, what particular parts did you like or, you know, kind of how did this fit? Because I, I know you're not as much of a fiction reader as you are like a nonfiction business book reader. What, what were kind of some of your favorite parts? Well, I do like fiction books and I, I actually agree with you on the one to one ratio. Um, what I don't tend to like is science fiction. And it's funny because the more the more I say that, the more I can over time cite examples of science fiction books 
or science fiction-esque books, fantasy books, whatever, that I actually did love. For example, I loved the Harry Potter series. And I would put that, you know, clearly in the section of, of fantasy and magic and all that sort of thing. And so I can tolerate it, but it's never been one of my favorite genres. Um, this I thought was awesome. And the, the, the reason why it brought me in was because I am a child of the eighties and sure. I love eighties music. I've always loved eighties music. Um, I had back in the day, I had, you know, when I got my first, I think it was a six CD changer. I burned six CDs worth of. 80s hits. And I eventually went on to uh, burn, I think, 13 CDs, which are now, of course, all in, you know, in iTunes and what have you. But I love 80s music. Um, I grew up with an Atari 2600. Uh, and in fact, uh, fun fact, I went from an Atari 2600 to a Wii. I had nothing in between. Uh, wow. yeah. And and part wow. of that is um, I've actually, I think you know this about me. I'm, I'm more of a pinball guy. I love pinball, but pinball is a throwback to the era of the eighties as well. Um, and so I just thought that, you know, for the eighties references alone in this book of which there are many, many, many music, movies, video games, et cetera. Um, I thought it was so much fun and I really had no problem with the kind of science fiction part of it. The, the suspension of disbelief that, that this is really a different world and a made up world. Um, but I, I thought it was great. I, I, it was a page turner and whenever I, uh, you know, Whenever it was getting too late at night and I had to put the book down, it was definitely one of those things where I, I wish I could stay up all night. Oh, I love it. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way about this. I actually read this book originally back in 2011 when it came out. And then with the movie, you know, not long after it came out, uh, the movie got picked up and Steven Spielberg was going to direct. And I thought that was great news. And then when I was at South by Southwest uh, a few weeks ago, they had a huge display for Ready Player One. And so I was already excited about the movie. And it's one of my wife's. My wife is a voracious reader. And it's one of her favorite fiction books. And so this has been on our calendar uh, to go see this movie. And uh, we actually went and saw this movie just uh, a few days ago, two days ago, actually, and loved it. Uh, what I will say for anybody listening along who's read the book and is planning to go see the movie, they're two very different storylines. So the the plot is the characters are the same. The general plot, which isn't ruining anything if you haven't seen the movie or the books, it's about this contest where uh, these players in this virtual reality world, these avatars, need to complete various quests or tasks to win these three keys. And the winner of the keys get a huge prize, which you'll learn about in the movie. So I won't. I won't share it here, uh, but I will tell you that the quests that they have to go on in the book are very, very different than the quests they need to go on in the movie. And a lot of people were kind of upset about that. But I think the the thing I loved about it is almost as if Ernest Klein, who's the writer of the book and who is also uh, the screenwriter and advisor on the movie, it's almost like he gave us two stories, which I actually thought was pretty cool. It's kind of you get the benefit of both worlds. But the, the one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about this is the the kind of the core theme of the story is that there is this virtual reality world called the Oasis where 
uh, basically the citizens of the world living on planet Earth has become such a not fun experience that everybody, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, you know, jacks into the virtual world, the oasis. And that's where they live. That's they, they have jobs, they have tasks, they go to school there, they go on quests, they do all these things to kind of distract them from the world uh, that they're in. And there, there's this great quote from the book, which I really liked, where the protagonist, Wade, uh, who's also known in the in kind of the virtual world as Parseval, says, I don't know. Maybe your experience differed from mine. For me, growing up as a human being on the planet Earth in the 21st century was a real kick in the teeth, existentially speaking. The worst thing about being a kid was that no one told me the truth about my situation. In fact, they did the exact opposite. And of course, I believed them because I was just a kid and I didn't know any better. And so they kind of talk about this situation where living in the real world isn't nearly as exciting as living in the virtual world, which I thought offered some interesting uh, things for us to consider as customer experience professionals and people that work in the space of customer experience and thinking about how virtual reality might impact our businesses. What what do we need to be thinking of? What do we need to be considering? Uh, kind of going beyond the just, oh, can you feel the product, you know, in a virtual setting and, you know, use it and kind of get the experience versus stepping into almost an immersive experience of living in a virtual world? Well, yeah. And I mean, I, you know, we haven't even talked about the sort of political commentary that is there, you know, talking about an earth that is essentially uninhabitable uh, and therefore people want to go live, quote unquote, in this oasis reality or virtual reality. But I think that you hit on a really interesting point, which is that th this virtual reality today in 2018 in the real world is usually you know, a temporary thing. It's, it's, you put on some goggles or you, you know, you go and participate in, in something that takes a couple of minutes and, and you have this alternate experience. Whereas this book is really exploring the idea of what if that experience became your life and that you spent 98% of your time in that world and only a tiny bit of time in, in the quote unquote real world. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Again, there's a, there's some definite commentary behind that in terms of how or why we would even get to that point, which is, is quite frightening. But, um, you know, I thought that this was, um, it, this was interesting on so many different levels. There's the, there's the idea of, of escapism and, and kind of being able to, you know, leave your problems behind and, and go into a place where you can be whoever you want to be. And, you know, a lot of the avatars, um, as is sort of the definition of an avatar is that, you know, are, are, are very different from the humans that are controlling them. Um, and, and so you can kind of be who you've always envisioned yourself to be. I thought that was a really interesting, uh, you know, piece of commentary. Uh, but I also, I don't know. I mean, again, I, what I kept coming back to was that this book was just fun for me because of all of the references that um, I grew up with and, and all the movie quotes and all the songs. And, you know, this guy plays a lot of video games. And um, again, I, I basically, you know, I maxed out back in sort of the, 
Pac-Man Space Invaders days. And again, never had never played video games up until a Wii. And I actually have a vintage Galaga machine in my basement. So I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And it didn't come until, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the book where Galaga gets a mention. Nice. Uh, but I was so excited when Galaga finally got a mention uh, because it is one of the classic games. So I appreciated, you know, I always appreciate whether it's sports or um, or hobbies or what have you, I always appreciate somebody who is really uh, into something and, and just really a, a fan of something such that they know everything about it. They they spend a lot of time learning. Even in the in the baseball world, and you know, I'm a big baseball fan. You know, people who are diehard fans of the team that I hate, I still have respect for because. They're diehard fans, right? They've spent the time. They've grown up. They've, you know, they've, they've paid, you know, they've put in the time, et cetera. And I think that this main character, Wade, for me, was kind of like that, that, you know, he's not a guy that everybody will relate to. Um, he's a, you know, he's a real introvert. He, uh, has, has basically mastered every video game that there is. And he spends all his time watching television and movies and, you know, memorizing words and lyrics and, you know, conversations and et cetera from, from TV shows, whatever. He's, he's like a nerd's nerd, uh, but he is likable in the sense that he, he really gets full into, he doesn't do anything half-assed. Like he gets into it and, and, and really goes for broke on everything and then meets these friends who are very similar. So I just thought it was, uh, you know, it, it was not, the kind of book I would have expected me to like because it was because the characters were not me. But I always, uh, I've had this conversation with a lot of people before that the reason why we read books like this or go to movies is to experience a different reality, right? If, 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 if you went as a recovering attorney and you went and saw, you know, a great legal thriller in the movie theater and it was what a real courtroom was like and a real case, it'd be really boring, right? right so right. so you go, you, you want it, you don't want it to be realistic because if it were realistic, it would be boring. And I think that's what was kind of cool for me here was that this was not a reality that I personally could identify with, but I really appreciated it and loved it while I was there. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, lo I loved the book as well. I really enjoyed the movie uh, too. And I think, it, you know, at the risk of having any of our listeners say, well, guys, what does this have to do with business? I, I think it has a couple of things to do with business. And so here are some key takeaways. Number one, it's really useful to read fiction to expand your understanding of experiences. Like we all work in the customer experience space. And I think all too often we get used to creating the same type of experiences that are, you know, kind of the norm or being acceptable within our industry or within the business world or even in our society. And I think reading fiction kind of pushes us beyond those limits a little bit. Number two, I think reading science fiction in particular exposes us to what could be coming down the road and what's there in the future. Everything that is presented in Ready Player One is a technology that exists today. Everything. There's, there's no technology that they talk about in either the movie or the book that doesn't exist in some format today. Now, it may not be as advanced as the world that they present in the book and in the story, but the building blocks for creating that are already there. And so I think there's an opportunity, uh, to, to pay attention to that. Number three, I will say that, uh, building off what you said, Dan, 
you know, we may not personally relate to the video game playing 80s music loving Wade Watts or Parsifal character in the book. But we all, I think, in our businesses want to have raving fans. And I think there's some takeaways we can uh, glean from looking at what a true raving fan, or as you said, a nerd's nerd looks like, and try to create the space within our own organization, or our own operations to kind of reward that behavior or acknowledge those type of raving fans. Uh, the last thing I'll say is if you liked Ready Player One, there are two other books that I would recommend. One is called Pattern Recognition which is by the science fiction author William Gibson, which is all about a protagonist character who uh, is has a visceral reaction when she sees a logo that allows her to know whether a brand is going to be successful or not. So as somebody who kind of worked in branding, I just thought this was particularly interesting. And another writer who is fantastic uh, in the area of science fiction has written a number of great books is Daniel Suarez. And his newest book is called Change Agent, which is all about gene modification and the CRISPR technology. Now, again, these are outside the bounds of the typical business operating today, and I imagine the typical listener. But check out these books because they will open up your minds to what the possibilities could be in the future. We usually see eye to eye, except when we don't. See if you find yourself siding with Dan or Joey as we debate a hot topic on this segment of Agree to Disagree. So, Dan, I had a unique experience a few weeks ago that I wanted to tell you about. I had the opportunity to go down to South by Southwest. And while I was there, I got to see a pretty impressive setup for the movie Ready Player One, which we just talked about in the previous segment. And what they had done is they had built kind of this Ready Player One experience. So they had a bar with a DeLorean in it and with custom movie posters and an Iron Giant. If you remember that movie from the late 90s, uh, the animated movie by the same name uh, where they had dancing and they had merch and then they had these stacks of trailers. Now, if you're familiar with the book Ready Player One, you know that they have folks kind of live in these scaffolding where they've placed mobile homes in scaffolding stacked on top of each other. And they had a similar setup where you could go into one of these mobile home trailers and play a virtual reality game, which was really cool. You were kind of on a foreign planet, you know, in a space age type setup, uh, shooting bad guys. They had a two minute limit, but I'll be candid. I got sucked in and they kept letting me play. And so I played for about six minutes straight in this virtual reality world. And it was pretty darn incredible. Well, this sounds fun it sounds like a fun experience and, <laughs> you, you almost sound enthusiastic when you say no, that. I, I mean it, it it does sound like a fun experience i know i have never been to south by southwest but i've always wanted to go and and they do things up pretty well down there as i hear and so this definitely sounds like it is uh, you have my attention let's put it that way i'm i'm telling you i think virtual reality is going to be a lot bigger than people think I, after having this experience, I also saw this amazing VR art installation by a group called Marshmallow Laser Feast, which they should get prizes even just for their name, called the Colossal Wave, where you were interacting in this virtual world. And I'll be honest, I, I felt like I was there. I got sucked in. All right. So I've done a little bit of this virtual reality stuff. I, 
to me, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think it's going to be fun for people like gamers, like the folks in Ready Player One. I think there's definitely applications in the medical field and others where it can be useful, but I don't see it becoming mainstream anytime soon. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I, I know it's been a while. It's been a long while. In fact, I looked it up. We'd have to go back to episode number five to find a time where Dan and I had to agree to disagree. And if you may recall from that episode, Dan was touting the joys and the amazement and the awesomeness of Twitter. And I was telling him that I thought that Twitter was not going to be around for much longer. And, and 25 st- episodes uh, later or so, it's still here. It's still here, but I still hold strong that uh, Twitter is not in its current incarnation going to exist much longer. However, I think we found ourselves to another topic that we might have to agree to disagree on, Dan. I say game on. All right, let's do it. Enter the octagon. All right, here's why I think VR is going to be even bigger than people think. All right, we are just getting started. This is like the dial-up age of the internet as it relates to an analogy to virtual reality, right? Yes, virtual reality is mostly for gamers right now, but it is already impressive as to how it can become totally immersive and the effect that it has on your mind. I mean, I know in one of these, uh, when I was doing the colossal wave in part of the simulation i was standing holding on to a pole up on top of like a rocky cliff and the the cliff fell away underneath me and i actually found myself holding on tighter because it seemed like i might fall off the cliff and this was in like the rough edges i think there's a lot of potential here All right. So that's because you were in a virtual reality simulation that, again, was temporary. And I agree that the brain can be fooled, but not for an extended period of time. I don't see anybody using this thing for more than a few minutes, for example. I don't see, you know, the, the, the world that was presented in the book, Ready Player One, is, you know, people spending their entire lives in virtual reality. And that's just something I don't see happening. I, again, I totally buy that you can go and have an interesting out-of-body experience for a few minutes, but that is just a simulation, and it is not, uh, to me, there's just not enough uses for it to make it the next internet. Uh, and see, I think there there are. I think we're just scraping the beginning. You know, in the beginning of the internet, when they just had message boards, people were like, uh, who wants to go on and post a message on a bulletin board that four other people in the world are going to read? And now, billions of people go on Facebook every day to post on a message board, their wall, something that they hope that many other people will read. I think we're, we're at the beginning stages. You know, the, the projections are that three years from now, in 2021, the virtual reality space will be a $215 billion industry, right? That's just in the next three years. There's so much effort and money and technology that's going into this. I think, I think the wheel's moving. I think it's one of those things where the momentum is behind it. It is going to happen. It's just a matter of how quickly and to what degree it's going to impact. But I think it's going to spread across all industries faster than we can imagine. So, Joey, 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 $15 billion. Do you realize that Google... No, 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 has- 200, 215. 
215 billion. Oh, 215. Well, okay. 215 billion. That's serious coin. That's serious money to throw in the next three years. Yeah, but I mean, let's just put, let's just put that in, let's compare that, right? So Google has a market cap as of this recording of over $700 billion. Apple is over $862 billion. Amazon is over, is almost $700 right, right, but billion. This is the, but, but these are just single companies. Yeah, but you're comparing that math to their market cap. That's the wrong math to compare to. You need to compare to revenues. That's what they're saying is that over the next three years, as much money is going to be spent on virtual reality as is spent in Walmart over the course of six months globally. Stop and think about that. Imagine a business the size of half the size of Walmart that no one is paying attention to right now. And growing that fast. I mean, Walmart grew to that size over decades. This is what's going to happen in the next three years. I'm telling you, we're on the edge of this thing. It's going to be big. All right. So there are lots of barriers to entry here for the consumer. And this is one of the things that bothers me about it. You have to be pretty technologically savvy. I mean, yeah, anybody can put on some goggles, right? But even just listening to the words and the descriptions of the items that the main character in the, in the book Ready Player One uses haptic suits and, 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 and I forget what the gloves are called, but something about using your, you know, so that your, your fingers can be used just like in, in real life and these glasses and you look like a fool with all this stuff on. And I, like, I don't see people going out and spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on this equipment just so they can go take a joyride in a DeLorean or, you know, go listen to some concert by some marshmallow band. I just don't see that happen. <laughs> but this is the, but this is the same type of thinking that would say, I don't see someone spending a thousand dollars on a cell phone. And that yet that's what everyone who has an iPhone X is doing. Right. I think here's the thing. Number one, the cost is going to come down and it's going to come down dramatically. Do me a favor. Anybody listening and especially Dan, since you're disagreeing, go on Ted on Ted.com and search for a talk by David Eagleman. E-A-G-L-E, eagle like the bird, Eagleman, David Eagleman. I actually had dinner with this guy while I was at South by Southwest. He is one of the foremost researchers. He's a neuroscientist on haptics, right? This idea that you would create clothing or things that you wear that vibrate in a way to give you a physical or tactile experience to things that are happening on the internet. Watch his talk. I'm not even going to begin to explain it. This talk will blow your mind. This is the guy who's on the cutting edge and between South by Southwest and when we're recording this episode, which has been just a few weeks, he announced this new haptic suit that they have. The price tag on this puppy is less than 400 bucks. Now we're getting into where the average person who thinks nothing of dropping a couple hundred bucks on an Xbox or on a PlayStation or on some other gaming device to get them to spend another 400 bucks to actually physically experience their time in virtual reality is not a big ask. No, but but neither is it taking over the world. I mean, Xbox isn't taking over the world either, right? I mean, well, it's I, not taking off the, over the world yet. But look at what video and what gamification has done. There isn't a big business brand that isn't actively considering gamification as a way to build customer engagement. And that's exactly where it came from. It came from video games and playing games to win points and building that into a business setting. 
I get that. And I also get your reference to the iPhone X. But I think what you're missing is that the reason why people pay that money, first of all, almost all of them pay it on installment. But secondly, the reason why people pay that money is because the iPhone or whatever smartphone it is you use is probably the single most important piece of equipment that you use during the day. And you use it for almost everything. It never leaves your side. I don't think the people, including you, that are saying that that the haptic suit is going to become this next item that never leaves your side during the day. I just don't believe that. Like, I don't I, I can see people buying it and playing it like they play the Xbox or the Wii or something like that. I, I understand that it's a it's a fun diversion, but I'm not sure that I am seeing this thing again taking over the world. I'm telling you, when employers recognize that the cost and the lost productivity they have for requiring their employees to come to an office and work from nine to five, including their commute time, when employers realize what a foolish decision this is and that letting people work virtually from home is the solution and we can create virtual worlds where they can have the conversation by the water cooler, where they can walk into a room that simulates what it would be like to walk into a boardroom, and yet they don't have to physically travel to be there. I mean, we talked about earlier in the CX Press conversation uh, that we had about the automakers, the designers at Peugeot and at Ford uh, and at some of the other auto companies that are using this type of technology to be able to bring their designers designers together in the same room virtually to work on a car, I'm telling you, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. So I, again, I see the use cases. I think that's a great example and a terrific use case, but that doesn't mean that we're moving to a world like in this book where we spend all of our time on VR. So I'm not saying that VR isn't a great technology that has lots of uses. I, but I, I mean, I, I had a, my own personal experience when I worked for a healthcare company is we were able to use VR goggles to take, um, seniors and, and terminally, terminally ill folks to national parks and, and like, you know, put these glasses on them and these goggles on them and take them to Yellowstone Park, which they were never going to get to go to again and, ha- and let them have that experience. And it was incredible. You know, I mean, it was awesome, but it's not, but that's different from living in an entire world of this stuff. And so I, my view is there's some really interesting applications here. Just like, frankly, there's lots of interesting applications for the Xbox. Who knew you could watch a DVD on it or a Blu-ray, right? But I don't think that that. I, I predict that if you compare that uh, that spend that you mentioned, the $250 billion by 2021, I think this is going to basically be uh, maybe a little bit bigger than some of the other video game systems that we've seen because they'll expand into different industries like health. But I don't think that this thing is the next internet by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry. Were you still talking? I I, I was in virtual reality. Yeah, I'm sure you were. You were you're playing some sort of game while, uh, yeah, while no, we're supposed no, to be recording totally a podcast. It's, it's totally you know fine. Hey, it, have it, fun. It, have fun here in 2018. I'll see you in the future. Yeah, yeah. You got to be kidding me. You know, in the future, we're not even going to have to record a podcast. We'll just we'll just simulate. We'll just have everybody come to virtual reality world. Look forward to seeing all of you there, Joey. Dan, I guess we'll just need to agree agree to to disagree. disagree. Listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service. It's time to check out this number. 
Okay, Dan, the number is 50%. What do you think it refers to? Oh, boy. Well, 50%. Um, I'm going to go with the percentage chance that I get this answer right. <laughs> <laughs> sadly, sadly, my friend, you fell in the 50% oh. that was wrong, but I appreciate the enthusiasm. No, the 50% I'm referring to is the fact that 50% of consumers leave their transactional loyalty program accounts inactive. Uh, that's a fancy way of saying like all of these loyalty programs where you earn points or get discounts, etc., that businesses think consumers are going to uh, behave with in a rational fashion. The fact of the matter is 50% do nothing with these accounts and the points they accumulate with leads to inactive accounts and hundreds of millions of dollars in discounts being lost and unclaimed. This comes from our friends at Oracle Smarter CX and their article, Three Ways Your Small Business Can Foster Loyalty with a Human-to-Human -human Customer Experience. I think that's interesting and not particularly surprising. As our listeners know, I worked in the credit card business for almost a decade, and I started my career there in uh, the rewards area. So I know a lot about rewards and loyalty programs. And one of the things that they are built on is this idea called breakage. And breakage is basically the rewards that go unclaimed. It's very uh, well known in the gift card space, and, and some states have even acted at, with legislation to um, to make sure that breakage does not happen and, and that customers don't lose the value of gift cards, for example. But it's it's why a lot of loyalty programs exist. That said, it is counterintuitive because the whole idea of a loyalty program is to drive loyalty. And if you're gaining these points and never using them, it's really hard to do that. One thing that I would say is that we identified in the credit card world that redeeming your rewards was one of the single best experiences that you ever had with your credit card because it was fun. It's like getting free money. And so certainly as a consumer, I would say, go check out those programs that you're in and definitely participate in them if you are leaving those points unclaimed. Use your points, people. Use your points. For the full article and to get more great content, check out smartercx.com slash experience this. Uh, the folks at Oracle CX are big supporters of the experience this show and sponsors of our show, which we greatly appreciate. Woo. Thanks, Oracle. Woo! And uh, go check out their website. It's really cool. They, you know, what I love about this website is you will find dozens of articles that are not only interesting to read, but relevant to your work. There are a lot of different websites out there around the CX space and the customer experience space. I highly encourage you to check out smartercx.com slash experience this. They're the best of the best. It's worth going to see what they have to say. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.